0: luck, and load. This is Steve Dace. The
1: Steve Dace Show.
2: And greetings. I am on location here in Dallas at uh, the posh state-of-the-art Blaze TV studios. Todd and Aaron are back home with us, slumming it there in our Above average studios in Des Moines. Gentlemen, good to have you with us. 888 900 is the number. If you want to be a part of the program, you can also let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at Stevedace.com. That's the email address D E A C E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Over on Parlor at Steve Dace. Uh, and check out our new YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash Steve Dace as well. Want to let you know uh, my brand new book, A Nefarious Carol is dropping on December the 15th. Pre-sales are going on right now if you want to get your copy just in time for Christmas. And yes, it is the novella sequel to my 2016 book, A Nefarious Plot, which we're making into a movie right now. We're going to actually revisit that book later this week on Theology Thursday. We're starting a new series uh, looking at a nefarious plot, again, in light of the nefarious plots that uh, we have been subjected to in recent years uh, leading up to the release of the sequel. So you can get your uh, pre-order. No, uh, your order. That book is in right now at Amazon.com. If you haven't yet had a chance to read a nefarious plot and you want to go through it with us, uh, you may do the same. Gentlemen, uh, how are you? I I want the audience to know, man, um, I'm... Muddling through today, Um, something I ate at the hotel for dinner last night, did not agree with me, woke me up at like 3 a.m., just destroyed me, I didn't get back to sleep until well after five, then I overslept, then I thought, you know, maybe if I get up and uh, try to, you know, run three uphill miles on the elliptical, maybe I can sweat the rest of this out, so I am, uh, I'm I'm playing a little hurt today, but I've got a beautiful 12-hour day. Awaiting Me Here at the place started an hour ago over on uh, Glenn Beck's program, and it won't end until about 11 hours from now after the presidential debate, so I hope you guys are ready to carry these next couple of hours.
3: You got a different sewer backing up this week, don't you? Is that, yeah. is that, is that the case? <laughs>
2: yeah, well put, yes. Yeah, uh, no question about that. Uh, but uh, uh, we're, we're here, and uh, we're making it through all the way, I'm hoping, by just focusing on the task at hand and not at what was lying behind me several hours ago, we will be able to make it through. We have a jam-packed show for you today. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, uh, Jason Whitlock from OutKick is going to join us for Pop Culture Tuesday, and we're going to look at the latest in wokeism and sports. And he put out a video. Aaron, do we have this video? Are we going to be able to play this for the audience when we introduce him? He put out this uh, Babylon Bee-like satire that unfortunately is not satire, but it is devastating. We will play that for you here uh, at the bottom of the hour to introduce uh, Mr. Mr. Whitlock. Next hour, if you're a political junkie, next hour will be for you. For fake news or not, courtesy of our friends over at the Wall Street Journal, where I know nobody, it's just you're supposed to say courtesy of our friends. That's just uh, the, uh, the rules of engagement. I don't know anybody over there. But uh, courtesy of our friends over at the Wall Street Journal, that we have a compilation of great moments in presidential debates. Now, there, there's one missing, and it's from the 1976 debate when Gerald Ford was adamant that Poland wasn't under communist control. And a, a lot of people think that that was the moment that lost him an excruciatingly close election to Jimmy Carter. But we have a compilation of great moments from presidential debates of the past. And we're going to ask ourselves as we play an, a, a game of fake news or not next hour. How much did those moments, though, that were a big deal at the time, how much did they really impact the outcome of? on Election Day. And, of course, that's a lead into what's going to be a dominant topic everywhere today. The first presidential debate is tonight. We're going to have a ton of coverage tonight at the Blaze. That's why I'm down here for Blaze TV to be a part of it. Use the promo code DEBATE at BlazeTV.com to get $20 off your annual subscription so that you don't miss a minute of our coverage. You can also watch some of it live on YouTube as well. But BlazeTV.com, use the promo code DEBATE and uh, you don't want to miss what we have going on tonight. It's myself, Glenn, Stu, Pat, Ali will be with us, uh, Dave Rubin as well. So a jam-packed house for you tonight here at BlazeTV.com using the promo code DEBATE. All right,
4: before we get to all of that, though, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What Happened While We Were Away, brought to you by If We Had 15 More, like Chip Roy. Congressman Chip Roy of Texas took to the floor of the House of Representatives recently to share his past experience as a lawyer for the Senate Judiciary Committee. He laid out the playbook the Democrats will try to use to stop the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court.
5: I had the great honor and privilege of serving Senator John Cornyn. I spent five years as a lawyer on that committee, working on a host of issues. One of the issues I worked on were nominations. Now, you might be asking, who are these two women? Well, Judge Janice Rogers Brown was, if my memory serves correctly, I don't have any notes, I'm doing this from memory, was a Supreme Court justice in California who was nominated to the Ninth Circuit. Priscilla Owen, was nominated to the Fifth Circuit. Now, in 2003, the Democrats in the United States Senate sought to stop, that is filibuster, stop their nominations. Their great crimes, they were conservative women. And in one case, a minority conservative woman. Those were their great crimes in 2003, ladies and gentlemen. And that is what your Democrats in the United States Senate did. Attacking them, tearing them down, blowing up the very process that people are talking about right now, the confirmation process. They attacked them. These two public servants. I met both of them. Very kind and nice people being ruthlessly attacked for simply being conservative women or a conservative minority woman. Can't have that. We can't have those dastardly Republicans appointing someone who doesn't fit the narrative by my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. But yet, that's precisely what happened in 2003. What have we seen since? We saw the complete horror show that was the Kavanaugh hearing two years ago. An utter disgrace by Senate Democrats. But I also remember the 2005 confirmation of Sam Alito. I also was there for the Roberts confirmation. Ask Justice Alito's lovely wife, Martha Ann, how she feels about the way her husband was treated attacked, torn down, vilified through his confirmation proceedings by Senator Schumer. It was vitriolic. It wasn't just highlighting differences of views or judicial philosophy. It was targeting him personally and attacking. But that is the playbook that I have to suggest is the routine playbook for my colleagues on the other side of the aisle in the United States Senate. And of course, that wasn't the first time. We all know in 1987, there's a new verb in the lexicon of the confirmation process called borking, because Judge Bork was borked. They took down Judge Bork, and again, what was his great crime? He was a constitutional conservative. He was a constitutionalist. That was his great crime. It took a mere four years later for Justice Thomas, in his own words, to receive a high-tech lynching. Watch the video, ladies and gentlemen. It's on my Twitter feed. You can go find it. Google it. Go watch the great biopic. You can go find that on PBS. Great documentary on the life of Clarence Thomas, who was born in a relative poverty in Savannah, Georgia, was raised by his grandfather. Read his book, My Grandfather's Son, a life overcoming many obstacles to end up at Yale and then to end up at the Supreme Court. And if you remember at his confirmation hearings, what did he say? He said, this isn't worth it for the court. At the hearings, when he was being pilloried, his character assassinated. He said, you know what? The Supreme Court isn't worth it. But you know what was worth it? And the reason he came back, and the reason he shoved it right back down the throats of those members of the Senate Judiciary Committee, including, by the way, Chairman Joe Biden, because it was his character. It was his name. The name that he had inherited and he'd had from his grandfather that loved him and raised him. It was his name. And he brought that Senate Judiciary Committee to its knees. And we should be grateful for it because he's been an excellent justice on the United States Supreme Court. And he did not deserve the attacks that he got. Let's talk about, to the left of Justice Thomas, Miguel Estrada. Anybody know that name? Remember that name? Miguel Estrada is a good human being. He's a good man. He was also a nominee in the Bush administration in 2003. During that same time that I was describing with Janice Rogers Brown and Priscilla Owen, and there were others. I think there were some 50 that were filibustered during that time. I can't remember. Do you know why Miguel Estrada was filibustered? Ultimately, he was stopped. A deal was cut, and Janice Rogers Brown and Priscilla Owen ended up on the bench. Miguel Estrada was not so fortunate. Miguel Estrada was targeted and stopped precisely because he is Hispanic. That is a known truth in Washington, D.C., but nobody talks about it. You know why? Because of concerns about how a leaked memo was found. It was a leaked memo that was found on a server. It's the stuff that would be great for ethics classes in law school or undergrad about what folders are open and who can look at them and who can see them. It's a reasonable debate. But the fact of the matter is there was a memo by Senate Democratic leadership saying we must stop him because he's an Hispanic. Ladies and gentlemen who are watching this, This is what is wrong with
4: Washington, D.C. And that's what happened while we were away. Hmm.
2: Aaron's montage brought to you by our friends over at Brickhouse Nutrition of the Pandemic didn't just test our country's economic endurance. It exposed how living an unhealthy lifestyle can increase your risk. That's why we recommend you take Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition, preferably every day if you can, because while other health products boast about one vegetable, Field of Greens is packed with 12 clinically researched essential fruits and vegetables, plus green tea, ginger, uh, beets, everything else you're looking for. It's a powerful combination that not only supports heart health, it supports a healthy immune system and metabolism, blood pressure, and digestion. Field of Greens loaded with antioxidants pre- and probiotics as well, and just put one scoop in any glass of a water-based drink. Shake it up and you're done. So why settle for one vegetable when you can have the entire field of greens? Go to BrickHouseSteve.com right now and save 15% off a 30-day supply with the offer code STEVE. Again, that's 15% off a 30-day supply with the offer code Steve. And if you decide to subscribe, they'll throw 10% off every month as well. Get both of those discounts with the offer code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. Again, that's BrickHouseSteve.com. So why did I want Aaron today to play that entire video uh, for the montage? Um, Well, it worked to my advantage. That's six less minutes I had to talk today (laughs) Overcoming whatever food poisoning I received last night. But uh, when I gave that to him, that had not been in the cards yet. The, the, here's the reason why. We're going to have plenty of time to get into the debate. We're going to, you know, analyze it in the overtime today. I'm doing like six other shows on the debate tonight and everybody else is talking about it too. But I, I wanted to show you that because I, I think you need to understand why over the years the Republican Party works so hard to stop people like Chip Roy from winning primaries. I I think we believe it's because, well, you know, um, guys like Chip are more conservative and they don't think they can win general elections. No, that's not why. It's not why. It's all about whether you're going to play ball or not. When I first started using my show here on a local level for activism, I really thought that what was going to generate pushback, and I was on a conservative station backed by a lot of business interests that have, that, that have ties to the Republican Party establishment, and and I think that they were going to be mad about me wanting more conservative policy I, I thought that that's what this was going to be about and there was some of that but where i really saw the most pushback is when people either i helped recruit or support or just happened to ran on their own and i got to know them and used my radio show to promote them when we started getting people elected to the state legislature that's that's when the heat guy dialed up to 11 spinal tap because what would happen is these individuals would then they were in on the the cloakroom meetings they were then on the inside of this listening as they game planned out how they were to screw their base get over this issue escape uh, too much scrutiny from the local communist the newspaper's editorial page that no one who would ever think for three nanoseconds about voting for them ever reads they were in on all of this and then they would either call me or call into the show and tell my audience on a statewide 50,000-watt blowtorch, hey, this is how they're screwing us right now. This is what's going on. Oh, boy, howdy. That, that is what lit the fuse. And, you know, my ego was a little bruised, not going not gonna to lie. I, I was really hoping it was going to be my ability to, with great clarity, Articulate conservative principles and back them into a philosophical and ideological corner to act on issues they didn't want to act on. Eh, there was a little bit of that, not as much as my ego preferred. What it really came down to is having people that would take them inside uh, take you inside the system. Show you how the sausage is made. Here's what they think about you. Here's what they're saying about you. Here's how they're trying to manipulate you. Here's how they're trying to change the narrative. Here's why they're doing what they're doing. They're, they, they were your eyes and ears on the inside. And my show gave them a platform beyond just what they would put in an email to supporters or on their Facebook pages, but to, to blast all over the state to our base, here's what's truly going on. See, that's the threat people like Chip represent. And... You know, right now, there'll be a bunch of Republicans that will uh, politely applaud as he points out that the Democrats were uh, using a racialist agenda even back a decade ago, that they were looking to character assassinate conservatives three decades ago, the history lesson about how the word borked became a verb in American political parlance. But if you know anything about Chip, and I know him well, he does that like on everything. He does that like on the stuff the Republican Party uh, doesn't want you to know about. Because, see, that level of knowledge is empowering. It's what our show has done on COVID for these last few months. It's shown you the data. What it really is. What, what C- see, there's a difference between what CDC's data really is and what CDC Ro- Director Robert Redfield says it is. He just thinks that in the end, most of you won't go and look at their actual hard data. We've been sharing it with you now for months. There's a total disconnect between his narrative and their own data. I haven't been using foreign data on COVID for months now. Ever since HHS took over uh, the dissemination of, of data from CDC, I've only been using CDC data. Just their data sounds a lot different than their director sounds, does it not? See, the the idea of the transparency. Who's calling the shots? What's really going on? What's really being said? See, that's what the system hates. That's what the system can't tolerate. The reality is, the reason we've lost so many Republicans we've elected over the years isn't because they sold out their principles for K Street money. It's that they sold out their integrity for it. They decided they would play ball with the system. But when you took an ideological profile with a lot of those guys, they're probably all still fairly conservative, I would imagine. But the system said, hey, if you want to get reelected, you want to be popular around here, you have to conform to this culture. And that's why people like Chip are dangerous. Because they won't. It's why I told him not to run. Because I knew that they would not help him. They wouldn't want him to win because he would do stuff like this. And he told me that's exactly why I'm going to run. Because somebody needs to do some stuff like this. <laughs> All right? But I I wanted us to take a time out here for a second. And remember, there's a reason why in this last presidential primary, twenty three candidates ran, sitting governors, former heads of the Republican National Committee, U.S. Senators, gained no traction. And the final two candidates remaining were the two candidates that the system hated the most, albeit for different reasons. Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. The good news of that is a lot of you instinctively already know this. That's why they were the final two candidates standing. And they lapped the field when it came to delegates and votes despite vast differences between the two. Most folks saw them, though, as, hey, who does the system not want? I'm in. Let us not forget this. You know, I've watched the last few weeks, people in my Twitter feed whose opinions I respect put their trust in this Durham report. It was never going to deliver anything, and it's not. At least not before the election when it matters. Well, now Barr's going to lock him up. No, he's not. Barr is a Bushy. He just gives much better speeches than most bushies do. Win or lose on November 3rd, this dynamic I'm talking about, the one that Chip is laying out, still exists. And it's the real enemy here. And that fight is going to go on. Todd and Aaron, your thoughts?
3: Well, I'm glad you connected Redfield to all of this because this me is absolutely about what you've said Steve for a long time people get into all walks of life not, not just politics either to do something or to be somebody and mm. the red fields of the world are absolutely just like a lot of politicians they just want to be somebody I, I, you know I've seen this locally at a school board level just somebody who did, didn't want me rocking the boat on Twitter because they said, well, it wasn't it, it just wasn't a nice conversation. You don't get to decide that. That's why I'm so glad a guy like Chip, a genuinely nice guy, is talking about Clarence Thomas and and the need to shove down the throats the narrative that is trying to destroy the country. The people that are not worried about being somebody are perhaps and hopefully people like uh, Amy Coney Barrett. There's a great column out t- uh, today, I believe, in first things by a neighbor of hers in South Bend. And it's less about how she's going to vote. We, Of course we need to vet, vet that, but it's about who she is. We've talked about that on the show this week. One of what the, dri-
2: what's her driving motivation? Well, yeah, right? and, and
3: just the, yep. the, what's, this water, what's the soup that she's been swimming in for her entire lifetime? She's going to be the first Supreme Court justice in a very long time that's uh, not from either Harvard uh, or Yale. She, she comes from Notre Dame, but before that, a story much like Chip's. I know uh, Chip happens to hail from Virginia, ends up in Texas. Amy Coney Barrett grew up in Louisiana, then went to a small uh, liberal arts school in Tennessee before she went on uh, to Notre Dame and D.C. She's cut from a different cloth. This is the red versus blue. This is the us versus them. That's just undeniable at this point. She, We need to hope more than w- w- where she went to college, just what kind of person what kind of human being she is when we cannot tell the difference between an indian audium or what's a male what's a female the fact that she hails from a different place and hopefully does not aspire to be a Yaley or a a Harvard uh, skull and bones, that's perhaps the most important thing, that she's striving to do something because of where she grew up and what she's seen and not to be somebody because those who have tried to be somebody are destroying this country inside and out.
4: Yes, and furthermore, The taking a a ride in the Wayback Machine as, as Chip Roy did with several nominees who have been essentially borked. And it's part human nature, but it's partly also the social media and the rise of social media era that we live in that we tend to be incredibly myopic. But having it pointed out that Kavanaugh and we, we all heard of Bork before, but Kavanaugh was not the first time that they tried to pull something like this. They did it even more blatantly to, albeit uh, lower court judges as well, in the past. That cannot be understated. Because why, for the Lindsey Grahams of the world... Why for I've, I've heard I've seen several uh, s- several conservative blue checks saying, uh, boy, people just really underestimate how much the Kavanaugh process radicalized conservatives. And that may be true outside of the Beltway as well. I mean, that's that's part of our story, too. I, I think it was the Kavanaugh hearing, Steve, that prompted mm-hmm. you to vote straight ticket Republican. Mm-hmm. But, but talking about it in the context of those Republicans who have been in Washington for decades now. Why was it Kavanaugh? Why was that the last straw? Boy, what were the straws before? How many straws did you have to go to or go through for Kavanaugh to be the last straw? When you have all of these examples, where was your foot being put down? And it's, it's exactly that dynamic. Nobody is listening to me. Nobody really cares. Nobody actually, nobody actually, um, Nobody that we send to Washington actually does anything about it. So we're going to get somebody who doesn't live and breathe and drink in Washington. And that's the dynamic that we ended up with Donald Trump. So it goes again, not only to underscore what the system thinks of people like Chip Roy, what the left thinks of women like Amy Coney Barrett and others, but it also goes to serve and to remind us of one thing that anybody... Anybody, Trump, uh, he's violating the norms, anybody on the right who claims to be conservative. And I, none of us, none of us uh, on this show, I don't think, enjoy necessarily Trump's personality all of the time, 100% of the time. But when it's Republican leaders who stand up there and talk about Trump violating the norms and being a bull in a China shop, just, just look in the mirror because it's you, It's decades of people like you who made that possible.
2: You also have to understand the culture of the place. It's very District 1 out of Hunger Games. It's another world. There's a lot of Caesar Flickermans on both sides of the aisle in the media. Um, And, you know, one of, I think, the most underrated aspect of Amy Coney Barrett's nomination. She's the first mother of school-aged children to be nominated for the U.S. Supreme Court. Which means if, if you're that Idaho case, hey, are those my daughters that are going to th- get their spot taken away um, because some dude couldn't either cut it on the men's team or he feels pretty now and probably needs psychiatric help? Um, she's the one person on that court, or will be the one person on that court, who could have a daughter in that situation, who could relate and find another reason why you might you might think this is a bad idea other than you're just transphobic. That there might be another angle to this story. There, there, there might be a reason that people of empathy and intelligence think it's a bad idea to promote this uh, other than we're just hateful bigots. There might be another reason why. and Because inside of their bubble, they don't live the same lives that many of us live. Frankly, Republican or Democrat. Right? The, the culture of conformity that exists there is overwhelming, which is why I spend the least amount of time there as I possibly can. I mean, it, literally the air tastes different when you get off the plane. But this is the, this is the fear. See, the, this has never been about Trump. Kavanaugh and Russian collusion and Ukraine, this has never been about Trump. It's been about him being a vehicle to let you into the system, to let you peer through him into what's really going on. That's what it's really about. He's not the enemy. You are. Jason Whitlock's going to join us from Outkick the Coverage here next for Pop Culture Tuesday. Stay tuned here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. So I woke up uh, over the weekend, I think it was Saturday morning, and saw a video that uh, took my breath away, and, and, and especially the very last line. Watch this.
1: As many of you know, we here at OutKick have been closely following the valiant efforts. By the NBA, NFL, NHL, and Major League Baseball to finally and forever end the scourge of racism. That's why we set up a hidden camera in the trailer of Southern white nationalist bigot and KKK Grand Wizard Billy Ray Joe Bob. I admit. I was skeptical as to whether Billy Ray Bob could even read the words on helmets, much less have them soften his bigoted soul. But the results have been shocking. Let's go to the tape. Here's Billy Ray Bob on his couch, ready to take in Monday Night Football with a cold beer in his hand and cold, cold hate in his heart. As you can see, Billy Ray Joe Bob is a typical white racist with an eighth grade education. His Don't Tread On Me tank and his homemade tattoo of Nathan Bedford Forrest, Yeah-ha! it doesn't look promising. Now the national anthem is played, the American flag flies, and Billy Ray watches as the players take a knee. But wait! What's this? It appears Billy Ray Joe Bob is reflecting on the heroic contributions of Jacob Blake and dozens of other violent criminals who have bravely resisted arrest. Look, his heart, once frozen in bigotry, is rapidly melting at the sight of those three eloquent words, Black Lives Matter. Is that tear one of shame for his white privilege or one of joy of religious ecstasy of his new wokeness? Billy Ray Joe Bob is a man reborn, but that's not the end of this miraculous transformation. He's tossing out his bucket of KFC and ketchup and replacing it with Popeye's chicken and a bottle of hot sauce. Mmm, mm, mmm. Mm. nice touch. Out goes the six-pack of Bud Light. In comes the smooth, sultry taste of Hennessy VSOP. He's even ditched his monthly guns and ammo for a yearly subscription to Ebony (laughs) Magazine. Yes, the evidence is clear. Black Lives Matter is changing the hearts, minds, and even the sexual appetites of white bigots everywhere few more months of kneeling and who knows maybe the athletes themselves will start dating black women
2: dude (laughs) watching that again i'll take things i could never get away with but i'm glad somebody else did it for a thousand dollars alex and the man responsible for that is now with us here on blaze tv jason whitlock from outkick good to see you brother how are you
0: good to be here steve thanks for having me
2: so, Jason, the genesis of an idea like that, did you just get up one morning and you thought, you know what, man, I got too many friends. I mean, just too many people that like me. Uh, I'm getting too many speaker bookings, and I've just, I've got to figure out some way to clear my schedule to have more time at home. Let me do this video. Was that where it came from, Jason?
0: No, it actually just comes from, look, I like to laugh, and I miss the days when comedians used to crack real jokes and used to belittle obvious stupidity. And so, you know, I just want to tap into, and we're going to do a little bit more of it at OutKick and just tap it into my sense of humor and trying to fill the gap that's been left by all the comedians running away from comedy. <laughs> you know, Dave Chappelle, is the type of guy that would put together a skit like that. But now it's all illegal, and I'm going to try to legalize it again.
2: Maybe the funniest thing I've ever seen on American television was Dave Chappelle's (laughs) skit about the blind, black, white uh, KKK racist who didn't know that he was black. Do you remember that one? It is one of the funniest things I have ever seen uh, on television. But you're right. Could that get made today anywhere that is actually broadcast in open air? Probably not. No. You you are writing uh, today at OutKick about, uh, for those of us that live in Iowa, we know the last name of Bethard. Uh, Bobby Bethard is considered one of the great general managers in NFL history, helped build the Washington Redskins uh, dynasty back in the day, originally with Joe Gibbs. Um, C.J. Bethard is a quarterback at the University of Iowa that made it to the NFL. So it's a name that we know. You wrote about a member of this family recently. Tell us why.
0: No, let me be correct. Correct. One of our reporters, Jason King, not Jason Whitlock, wrote about Ah, this. He interviewed uh, Kurt Beathard. And so Kurt Beathard is the son of Bobby Beathard. He's a 57 year old small college football coach. He was the offensive coordinator at Illinois State up until the beginning of this month. Uh, He's someone who models his coaching philosophy after Joe Gibbs his dad's protege with the Washington Redskins. And if you know anything about the history of football and the men who have coached it, a lot of the greatest coaches wore their Christianity on their sleeve from Mm -hmm. Joe Gibbs to Tom Landry, uh, to father Tom Osborne at Nebraska to Bill McCartney when he was at Colorado and the promise Mm -hmm. keepers. There's a long tradition of football coaches embracing their Christianity. And Kurt Beathard's embrace and standing on his uh, Christian beliefs ended up costing him his job because he's bothered by uh, athletes and the whole embrace of the Black Lives Matter movement. He's done the research. He knows the organization was founded by three Marxists. He knows that the philosophy and the strategy of Black Lives Matter is Marxist. He knows that Marxism is hostile towards Christianity and all religions, and he just know as a Christian, you're taught to believe all lives matter to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He posted that on his office door. Uh, someone took a picture of it, circulated among. Uh, the players on the team and circulated around campus. And, of course, Illinois State promptly caved to a very secular movement, Black Lives Matter, and the pressure he felt uh, from the players. And they ran this guy out of his job. They reassigned him, basically fired him. Uh, And it just speaks to, Steve, in my mind, just Black Lives Matter's impact on sports culture and football culture and it, it, it's crazy. Football has always been aligned with uh, patriotism and religious faith. And those two things are under attack in football and all of sports, patriotism and religious faith. You Coaches can no longer wear their Christianity on their sleeve. They have to be very careful with how they deal with these athletes uh, and their religious faith or whatever. And so it's just a sad place where we're in and I'm so proud of Kirk Bether for standing on principle and standing on his beliefs and and not backing down and you know he took his reassignment his firing I wish more people had his courage
2: I think one of the things that's been fascinating to watch Jason You know, there's an old saying we have in the political world uh, to know who it is who truly lords over you. Find out whom you're not permitted to offend. Right. Okay, And that kind of goes to what you're describing uh, here at Illinois State University. I think what has been troubling to a lot of people, you look at somebody like J.J. Watt. I mean, he's like the Incredible Hulk come to life. Right. And he was reduced to millennial snowflake rubble on Twitter a few months ago about whether to stand for the anthem or not. I mean, what happened to Drew Brees? And this is a guy who at at, at barely 5'11", for the last 18 years, stands in the pocket while guys that are two to three times his size and can eat him for breakfast, try to take his head off 70 times, 16 Sundays a year, all right? And just stands in there and delivers uh, unabashed courage under fire. And yet, I mean, he became like a human amoeba. Over this issue uh, with BLM and others uh, earlier this summer, I think what a lot of Americans on our side of uh, that watch shows like this are, are struggling with: how can these guys who on the outside look like Adonis? They're like the cover of a Men's Health magazine. They're the they're the picture of masculinity. How are they reduced to basically a scene out of mean girls over this? I mean, no one, I mean, the Steelers are recently like, why are we wearing stuff on our helmets for guys that did drive-by shootings? Why isn't there more of that? I mean, aren't these like the badasses of American subculture? And yet it's it's like a gathering of, of millennial snowflakes on a college
0: campus. Well, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil and there's, again, I have no problem with money like it, Uh, but I'm not (laughs) going to compromise my values because of it. It's easy for me to say that I guess I'm not making $40 million a year, which to me, that should liberate Drew Brees even more Mm
1: -hmm. than
0: he made so much money in the NFL. But right now, corporate America has spoken everybody's going to worship black lives matters. Everybody's getting on board with this or it's going to cost you dollars. And these guys have golden handcuffs. They have puppet strings on them. They're all tied to these major agencies and these people behind the scenes in the agencies that are in their ear telling them, Hey man, you need to do X, Y, and Z in order to protect these corporate relationships, these sponsorships you have. If you don't jump on board with black lives matter, Sprite, Pepsi, Coke, who cool Note, forward motor, somebody may jump off board with you uh, because of that. And so these athletes are folding. They're, they're addicted to social media. They can't, it's very few people uh, who can deal with the negative backlash of social media. Human beings aren't built to take the kind of written abuse personal assaults that are commonplace over social media. Human, You know, Drew Brees has lived his life in a way that where he never wants to be called racist publicly. And people do that over social media if you don't pledge allegiance to Black Lives Matter. And so for white mm-hmm. guys like Drew Brees and J.J. Watt, they have social media feeds. They have their agents who are telling them... This is profitable for you. This is how you're going to make money post your career. And so they don't want to jeopardize their social media feeds and have them turn into some sort of uh, Black Lives Matter Twitter storm, lynch mob that just spams them with your racist bigot, blah, blah, blah. It's going to cost them money. And so these guys are making decisions with their pocketbooks, not with what they truly believe. Uh, it's really just sad and 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 devastating the, the just the rapid change of sports culture. It's long held alliance with faith-based principles and patriotism. It's all being changed in an instance uh, by Black Lives Matters. It, it's one of the most incredible things I, I've ever seen and and you know it, it's why, you know, I think last week, I spoke to Congress about media and diversity, and I talked about the truth and how social media has eliminated the truth and how Silicon Valley and Northern California are in control of the American media. And we need to break up their monopoly because they're forcing their values on the rest of us. And that's what's happening. We're watching sports culture change on a do a complete 180 to the values that, that they've long leaned into and no one virtually no one is is saying anything except for a handful of, a handful of us uh in the media that you know are either labor, i'm black so i'm a sellout if i don't support black lives matter you're white you're a racist because you don't support mm-hmm. black lives matter and I, I keep trying to explain to people like hold on man What about let's remove race? What about my Christian values? That's really what I try. And again, I fall short and fail. Everybody knows I'm a sinner. I admit that. But my Christian values define my worldview far more than the color of my skin. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think a lot of people other than Kurt Bethard are, are afraid to say that publicly.
2: I've got only about uh, ninety seconds here for a very difficult final question.
0: What's the solution then? What, what, in our audience, what would you tell them to do? Oh, what would I tell your audience to do? And I, I hate to say this because this is not where I was at the beginning. But the athletes, just, they have to be punished. The leagues have to be punished. I, I can't. My career is dependent upon paying attention to the sports world. Uh, I have too much passion for the sports world to walk away, but I don't blame the people that are. You gotta, the only solution is basically to walk away and, and let these guys learn a tough economic lesson. There's so much money in pro sports. Athletes just aren't what they used to be. They're not role models. They're influencers and they're influencing people uh, in a negative way right now. And I'm not sure that's ever going to change as long as they have all these corporate ties. And so what we used to enjoy about sports, we used to point to sports as the ultimate meritocracy, as, as the ultimate unifier, uh, as the ultimate expression of Americana. That is old, that's gone and dead. And I don't know if it's ever coming back.
2: Jason Whitlock, those are some sober words there. Thanks for joining us today here on Blaze TV, brother. Always appreciate your work. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Steve.
2: You bet. I know we have very limited time back there, uh, back home in Iowa. But either one of you want to comment on the conversation we just had with Mr. Whitlock?
3: Well, Jason is obviously echoing conversations that the three of us have had about how big of a dent if you decide to do tune tune out. How many does it take? And we don't. Mm -hmm. The three of us don't agree. Um, I understand that it's going to take a lot more than we currently have with this beast like the NFL and the game we had last night. But I don't know. Things have changed so rapidly within our culture. I, we don't know what a gender is anymore. We have no idea what the world is going to like like one year from now. So I think Jason is right in the long run.
4: Yeah. and Aaron, what do you think? And, and as long as the, the actual – it's such a difficult prospect because I, as I've tried to articulate before, the sport itself – you know, outside of outside of the the field, you know, inside inside the game, when the clock is running, the sport itself is everything that conservatives should actually be championing right. championing, right. but outside outside of that, the people running the sport and the people playing the sport, it's everything but what do you do with that? If follow mm-hmm. your conscience, I guess.
2: He also mentioned how much corporate America, though, not the sports leagues, are propping this up. That's a point that I've been trying to make recently. We'll come back with Hour 2 here in a moment. Stay tuned. All right, we are back here with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV radio podcast. Steve Dace here. I am on location here, the Blaze Headquarters, state-of-the-art studios in Dallas. Todd and Aaron are back in our home studios in Iowa. Don't forget, you can let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the show. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace show over on parlor at Steve Dace and check out our new YouTube channel, which will remain new until we are satisfied with the amount of subscribers at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. Also, if you are a podcast listener, we love you too. Uh, to show that you love us, uh, click that subscribe button, leave us a five-star review. You can do that on any podcasting platform that you access us through. And uh, the more of those you get, uh, the more, more of those you do, Uh, The more that helps the show to grow. Thanks to all of you that have sent those into us already. We have gotten thousands of five star reviews from across the country. Let's keep those coming. I think, you know, we have fragile male egos and they need to be soothed. Thank you. All right. um, What does COVID-19 have to do with losing your home? Well, a lot, because the FBI is reporting that cybercrime is up 75%. Since we went into these stupid lockdowns and it gets even worse because the legal title to a lot of our homes these days, those are kept online and this crime is called home title theft and it is growing everywhere because cyber criminals know that our home titles are online so they forge our signatures on a quick claim deed and refile as the new owner of our homes. And before you know it, you're off the title and you may not even find out they're taking out loans, they're liquidating your equity. You may not even find out until a late payment notice, maybe even a foreclosure notice shows up in the mail. So how does this not happen to you? Check out Home Title Lock. They will protect your home's legal title, your most valuable asset, your safe haven, uh, and they'll put a virtual barrier around your home's title. The minute they detect any kind of tampering whatsoever, they will mobilize to shut it down. But first things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim. And then while you're there, uh, use the code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO for 30 free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. I want to thank Jason Whitlock for joining us here with Pop Culture Tuesday to close off last hour. We're going to get into fake news or not now. Uh, and, and we think it's going to probably take most of the hour to go through this. Because... Of course, the first presidential debate is tonight. And guys, were, the, the big scoop is, uh, will the Biden campaign or won't they permit uh, Joe Biden to be inspected for any earpieces? That's where we're at today. Uh, that's a reasonable the big news request. That it would seem to be, especially after you already agreed to it and then now you're not. Okay. But uh, that's, that's the big news leading up to tonight's first presidential debate. Uh, There is talk this could be the largest audience ever to watch a presidential debate. We may break a hundred million tonight. We're going to have a ton of coverage right here on Blaze TV. I'm down here to help with that. I'll be on several of the shows today, including the debate coverage tonight. BlazeTV.com is where you can go with the promo code debate to get a discounted subscription. BlazeTV.com promo code debate. You can also watch a lot of what we do, not everything, but a lot of what we're going to do. We're going to make it available on our YouTube channel as well. But if you want to catch everything, BlazeTV.com promo code debate. In the overtime today, we're going to kind of get you two's reaction. I'm giving so much, you know, debate analysis. We're going to set the overtime aside and and let you two uh, talk about what you want to see tonight, what you expect to see tonight. That's for Blaze TV subscribers at blazetv.com/slash dace. We'll record that after the show, and then you can go there later today and watch that a little bit later on. But I wanted to put some historical perspective on this because you know we've pointed out we're getting these poll numbers. Uh, Well, I mean, Trump's going to get 35 percent of the Hispanic electorate, uh, or 39 percent of the Hispanic electorate, and lose. Well, that would tie Reagan for the second highest percentage of Hispanic voters by a Republican ever, and that was what Reagan received in 1984. So I I doubt that can happen. He 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 might lose, but it won't be with 39 percent of the Hispanic vote. Uh, Joe Biden's going to win 21 percent of the, or he's going to win 21 points uh, the independent vote. Well. The biggest blowout we have had in the last seven presidential elections was 2008 Barack Obama, and he won independence by eight points. So uh, Joe Biden's not winning independence by 21 points. I mean, it's important to know what the historical context is here, right? And so leading into this debate tonight, I I thought what would be interesting is if we took a look at past pivotal moments in presidential debates or vice presidential debates? And were they ultimately impactful? They, they made news at the time. But when we voted on election day, did it make an impact? Were they fake news or not? and this week's fake news or not is brought to you by Rough Grains. You know, people do all kinds of things with their dogs these days. They go running with them, take them for walks. You know what they really need more than anything though? Nutrients, because a lot of the food that they buy at stores has been stripped bare of all the vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, uh, all the omega oils, you know, the stuff they really need. Same thing goes with our food too. That's why we buy so many supplements these days is because our food's also been sterilized for mass consumption and production. So we buy supplements to put that stuff back in. Your dog could use that as well and that's where Rough Grains comes comes in. It is a dog food supplement. It's a powder that you put on your, your dog's food that they already love and a, and they're going to love it even more. It apparently tastes great. At least that's what our dog Cap thinks. And right now, you can see if you don't see a difference in your dog in 14 days or less with their jump start back for just 14.95. Take advantage of this deal at roughgreens.com/blaze. Again, that's roughgreens.com/blaze and they spell it R U F F for roughgreens.com/blaze. Before we go through this montage that was put together courtesy of the Wall Street Journal, and we're going to go through these in real time this hour, you guys have any big picture thoughts on how much debates do or do not impact the outcome of elections?
4: I would say, especially having listened to this, the great debate moments, this montage that we're about to play and looking last week, preparing for the day's Group discussion on the debate, previewing the debate, how much does substance, like actual substance, actually matter at debates? Because it seems like the most memorable moments are the one-liners. Now, whether or not that actually goes on to play an impact, that's what we'll discuss here in the next few minutes. But I, I'm not sure how much substance really plays into this, as much as body language, demeanor... And overall, just are you in control of the situation? Are you in control? It's It's really the it's really the body language and the um, it, honestly, it's the um, unspoken communication that's being that's being portrayed. I think that's really hmm. what matters most, um, at least with most debates. Um, so that's, that's what I would say. And going into tonight, we'll, we'll preview this a little bit later. I would say kind of like at the beginning of the song, uh, uh, at the beginning of a song, you really need a hook. You really need a good hook to get, keep people, uh, listening and, uh, viewing. And one of these candidates very early on within the first five to 10 minutes really needs a good opening punch or opening hook or moment to happen. Well, Todd, what Aaron was just talking about goes to the
2: the the origin of modern presidential debate history. The very first one in 1960 between Nixon and Eisenhower, and the people that listened on radio were convinced Richard Nixon won. The people that watched on television were convinced Jack Kennedy won. You know, Nixon had the the furrowed brow, the sweaty, uh, you know, uh, upper lip, things of that nature, uh, and Kennedy presented a much uh, more likable persona. And if you look at Every year we've had televised presidential debates, except one time. The candidate that had the highest favorable rating on election day won. Every time. The only exception was the last election, when Hillary and Trump were so in the toilet with their respective favorables that it kind of didn't matter when one person's minus 11 and the other one's minus 20. Uh, there, there, there isn't any favorables in that election. But last election was the only time, That the candidate with the highest favorables didn't win on election day if there was a televised presidential debate
3: listen with this news cycle as we have it this debate could be forgotten about in two weeks by now that's possible that doesn't take from the fact away from the fact that debates are are incredibly important because they're an opportunity for the president to do whatever he or she wants to, or the candidate I should say, whatever he or she wants to, or a lot of things at once. With it within the dynamic of a normal news cycle and, and you're dealing with the press that is now incredibly antagonistic, but even if it wasn't, you know, there's just a you can only get so much across within a certain narrow window on any given day. Here you got an hour and a half in a mano imano mano way where you, you can not only succeed but the, you can, at the same time, give another, the other person a loss. Whereas on any other given day, maybe you're both rising with whatever tide, whatever. It's, it's a grand opportunity, no matter how you look at it, to plant a flag. How long that flag lasts, you never really can tell. But there's very few opportunities as big as this in presidential politics. All right. So let's, with
2: that said, uh, and remember that it was, I mean, the last debate, I mean, Trump's polling was in a rapid, was in decline after the last debate cycle four years ago. And then he went on and won the presidency, which just goes to what you just said, Todd. I mean, if we had had the election the Tuesday after the final debate, Correct. he probably loses, probably convincingly. And then Jim Comey sends that email the week before the election and that turns the world on its ears. And no, no, do you guys remember how Trump finished the last debate? Ripping He took up, he, took yeah. the, he ripped, oh, yeah. ripped up the papers and threw them up on his yeah. podium. He knew he had not done well. Remember that. So... If, if uh, and that is the world in which we live in today. I mean, if he if it, see, I think if Joe Biden does well tonight, it's the only debate we're going to have. Uh, and if that happens, it's going to look really bleak if you' want if you want Trump to win, but what if at the end of October we have a report that shows thirty percent growth in the GDP and on Friday we get an unemployment report that shows unemployment's now under where it was under Obama in 2012. How much is that debate performance going to matter then, right? That kind of goes to what you are talking about. So they're, they're every bit as important as we think they are, but then maybe not as impactful at the same time as we think they are because they're not the final word anymore. And we learned that four years ago. Nevertheless. History has shown that there are impactful moments. Let's begin taking a look at these one by one, courtesy of the Wall Street Journal.
4: Mr. Truitt and I, and I want you to know that also I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience.
2: <laughs> All right, so let me set up. This is from the, the 1984 presidential debate between Ronald Reagan and Walter Mondale. You can see the former vice president's even laughing. Uh, At that moment. But uh, in the first debate, uh, there was uh, some of the same talk we're having about Joe Biden right now. Uh, There was some of that talk about Ronald Reagan uh, after the first debate. And remember, he was the oldest man to get elected to the White House, which means he was going to be the oldest man to be reelected to the White House at the exact same time. And uh, there was a lot of talk. Hey, is this guy past his prime? The polls really narrowed. And there was some talk that uh, maybe he's not competent and can't do the job for another four years. I believe it was the very first question out of the gate in the next debate was about uh, the president's age, memory lapses etc and that's how he chose to respond you heard the uproarious laughter from the crowd as even his opponent cracked up laughing at that moment as well and he went on to win uh what was it 49 states all everywhere but minnesota and the district which is mondale's home state and the district of columbia so fake news or not that moment did it impact what happened on election day 1984
3: oh that's not fake news that perhaps may rank when we're all said and done uh, doing this right now as the highest him it's, 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 he's, Ronald Reagan, in his mind, in his inner circle, knows that this is nonsense, but it doesn't matter what he knows. It matters what other people understand. And he Mm -hmm. took that at face value. He realized, I have got to take care of this, and I will. And I think that is a key. That is a talisman. We'll talk about it in the overtime. This soundbite has been rolling around my head for the last 48 hours about what Donald Trump must accomplish. This is incredibly crucial that he had the humility, Ron, Reagan to understand he had to deliver on this he owed it to the American people
4: yeah I, I would say I mean I wasn't obviously alive at this time but looking back in in history I mean this was this was the 1984 uh, campaign season that 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 soundbite in, in many ways and and um, I I, th- I think about this as well because here, here's the deal about tonight and I don't want to spoil anything for overtime uh, Chris Wallace is going to be no friend, no patsy to, to Donald Trump on any, on almost any level. Um, I, I think I could even foresee, especially at the very beginning, the very beginning of debates. You just pointed that out in this debate. This was right out of the gate in, uh, between uh, Reagan and Mondale. Um, right out of the gate just opening up an opportunity for biden to get his nice little soundbite in and then he can kind of sit back and relax for a little while that that would be the danger if i was on team trump tonight all right next clip
2: governor reagan again typically is against such a proposal
3: governor there you go again
2: So in in 1980, uh, the one presidential debate between Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan, uh, Jimmy Carter basically said that uh, Ronald Reagan was going to take the country back to a pre great society era. didn't it wasn't in favor of Medicare, Medicaid, uh, the welfare state, none of those things. And and Reagan would often deflect with that line. There you go again. And he finished the debate uh, against Carter with a devastating line that has been used several times. Hence, are you better off than you were four years ago? All right, so Aaron, this time I'm going to start with you. What do you think? uh, Did that kind of a moment have any impact on what happened in 1980, in your view or not?
4: Well, um, this is coming off of malaise, I believe, as well. You really didn't have to work super hard, I don't believe, to contrast yourself to Jimmy Carter. Um, So I, I I think it had a less... So I think it's a little bit of fake news. I mean, Ronald Reagan was charismatic. He could turn one liners any any day of the week and twice on Sundays. Uh, I don't think that one line necessarily had a huge impact on that election. But again, I wasn't alive during that time. So I'm going to call it fake news.
3: Yeah, Aaron. Yeah, I, I yeah, Go ahead, Todd. I think Aaron's exactly right as a singular moment like the one previous. But the key word there is charisma. And you just saw the dourness of Jimmy Carter. So it's more an uh, uh, embodiment of the totality of the contrast than a one-line zinger that was important there.
2: Keep in mind, historically, presidents have been reelected in America about 70% of the time. It is it, since the very beginning of the republic. It is tough to beat a sitting president. They, they don't lose after a first term very often. Reagan not only defeated a first-term president, but everybody always forgets, I mean, how much he was loathed by the Republican establishment at the time. There was a third-party candidate. Uh, Illinois Congressman John Anderson was on the ballot. got all kinds of publicity. Uh, I think he got something like 5 to 7% of the vote, uh, That essentially siphoning off support from Reagan in the general election. So he not only defeated a sitting president, but he did it with a third-party candidate coming from his own party at the exact same time in 1980. All right, let's get to the next clip.
5: Admiral Stockdale, your opening statement, please, sir.
3: Who am I? Why am I here? <laughs> 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 okay. Oh.
2: All right, that's from the uh, the 1992 vice presidential debate with Al Gore, Dan Quayle, and Admiral James Stockdale, uh, a war hero who was uh, selected by Ross Perot to be his running mate when he got back into the race. He dropped out, remember, that year when he started leading in the polls. Remember, Todd, he had done all those appearances on Larry King. Larry, Larry, remember those? All right, had the charts, you know, and and he bought all that time on network TV, got to number one in the polls. Then dropped out and said, it, well, it was because the, the George H.W. Bush, who he was running against, sent people to disrupt his daughter's wedding. Do you remember this? Yeah. That's why he dropped out and then got back in the race when he had to start way over from scratch and still got 19% of the vote on election day, even with that being his vice presidential running mate's uh, lead answer uh, to, in introducing himself to the American people. So what do you think? Fake news or not here?
3: On Stockdale in particular?
2: Your, your decision.
3: Uh, well, that is... How it, in, how
2: it impacted what Ross Perot did on election
3: day. Well, that's true news. Uh, the fact that he has to acknowledge a Saturday Night Live skit right out of the gate, uh, th- that's... It's not a good look. It's it, things were p- pretty much over. Pre- things you you can be zany. People actually wanted the zany uh, out of the front because it, you know it was a precursor to where we are now. They were just, people are exhausted with just the dumb nonsense of Washington D.C. politics. Anything that freshes us up a little bit, but then. Sooner or later, it's that balance in the human psyche. They also need some terra firma. They need some reliability. And it was it was looking more and more like pure zaniness. Nineteen
2: ninety two, it was an election for the social media era. We just didn't have social media yet. Jennifer Flowers, bimbo eruptions. Paula Jones. Um, uh, remember Paul Songus? Yes. All right, got in the race, was leading, and then dropped out. And in primary colors, they talked about. Uh, the Larry Hagman basically plays him in primary colors and talks about what may have led to him dropping out of the race and he had health issues as well. Um, George H.W. Bush faces a primary challenge. Bill Clinton goes on uh, Arsenio Hall and plays the saxophone. I mean, it, Ross Perot with the charts, the crazy ant in the basement, uh, all the appearances on Larry King Live. It, it kind of was a proto version of what we have seen Now in the social media era, that elections in America have become, which is the zany factor. We had we had never seen anything like that in American history until that election and it was i mean it was zany all the way to the end the the guy with the ponytail the last debate who stood up and said why won't you treat us like your children remember that moment todd i mean that that entire the guy who's leading the election then drops out so he doesn't win and comes up with a dumb excuse for why he did and then gets back in when he has no chance to win i mean it's just that that entire election was zany in 1992
3: and you and I are in college. I remember all of those guys you mentioned speaking in front of huge crowds at the yeah. University of Wisconsin. I was a student, I saw I was all a student of them at Michigan speak.
2: State, which had one of the presidential debates that fall when I was a student there. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Uh, Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, speaking of of third party, uh, I, I would say this is true news. I mean, the legitimacy of, of third party candidates probably went downhill from here. And I was trying to... Uh, I was trying to figure out, I, I feel like I've heard something like that phrase before, not not on Saturday Night Live, but uh, recently, like in 2016, and it dawned on me while you guys were talking, that's Gary Johnson. What is Aleppo? I mean, I, hello, the legitimacy of third-party <laughs> yeah. candidates just went downhill from there.
2: Yes, that was both the the, the zenith and the supernova
4: yeah. uh, at
2: uh, the exact <laughs> same time. Yes, it was. All right, next clip.
1: Governor. If Kitty Dukakis were raped and murdered, would you favor an irrevocable death penalty for the killer? No, I don't, Bernard, and I think you know that I've opposed the death penalty during all of my life. I don't see any evidence that it's deterrent, and I think there are better and more
5: effective ways to deal with violent crime.
2: I'll take questions that would never get asked. Yeah. Yeah. In a presidential debate these days for all the money, all the money, I'm all in like Cliff Clavin on Cheers when the final Jeopardy question was on postal service regulations. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm betting my kids' inheritance, everything I have, everything I own, the clothes off my back, my DNA, everything, that no question like that would ever be asked in a presidential debate today. So, Aaron, you go first this time. Fake news or not, how much of an impact did that have
4: on the outcome in 1988? Well, that has to be that has to be not. I mean, you're running up against the um the the next leg of you know, eight great years of Ronald Reagan in in terms of his vice president, HW, and you come out with uh no, if if my wife was basically uh I can't remember the terminology off the top of my head, but raped and murdered raped and murdered. Yeah. And you say, Oh no, I don't think so. Like not even thinking about it. Not even like pondering it, and forget about the the nature of the question. But just on a dude level, you're just like, nope, not even thinking about it. Not, not it. whoa, that that's like uh, I I don't want this guy anywhere near a position of anything that might, in some year or some time, have anything to do with defending me or my family. That, so I I think that's not.
3: I agree, it's not. I don't remember where the were at this particular time but you've got to remember despite the fact that uh george hw bush was a uh, a yale baseball player and a war hero at this point in his uh his life he was considered a wimp and
2: this yeah the big
3: interview with him and dan
2: rather where he walked off the set when yeah, Rather yeah. asked him about the wimp factor right yeah, yeah.
3: and so you his opponent You know, can't man up with a better answer than that. Suddenly, H.W., uh, you know, looks like the manliest guy in the ring. And, and, you know, maybe that doesn't matter today, but it still mattered back then. Yeah, see, I, because of
2: everything you guys said, I think it's absolutely, oh, you're right. You guys are right. It's not fake news. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that moment decided the election. It was already, in the momentum had swung to George H.W. Bush. This is the, when everybody doesn't like where their candidate's polling, they always go back to, well, Michael Dukakis led the uh, Gallup poll by 17 points. And it is true. Michael Dukakis had a 17-point lead in the June Gallup poll in 1988. But uh, polling's a lot different now than it was in 1988. Frankly, it might have been more honest then. Uh, but... Uh, Um, This is it was already now the the momentum had swung in H.W. Bush's favor. Remember, we had seen the Willie Horton ad uh, the revolving door from Dukakis about furloughing uh, violent criminals. Uh, Yeah, the ridiculous uh, one of the most ridiculous photo ops of all time where Dukakis was trying to counter this by putting himself in a tank you remember those oh yes photo that photo op todd and those commercials yes and how ridiculous he looked okay but i thought i think that this moment was the nail in the coffin i mean the the election was over in this moment and and it just was a matter of what the final tally was going to be i thought i think it cemented the momentum that was already underway in 1988 for sure all right let's get to the next clip we
3: have a question right here
2: Yes. How has the national debt personally affected each of your lives? I think the national debt affects
5: everybody. Uh, obviously, it has has a lot to do with interest rates.
1: It has. She's you, saying you, you personally. On a personal basis, how has it affected you? Has it affected you personally? Well, I'm sure it has. I love my grand grandchildren. I want to
5: think how? that. Th-
2: All right, so that election. Remember George H.W. Bush in that same debate? Checks his watch. I think it was actually in that clip to begin with, wasn't it? Doesn't he check it his was, watch? Yep. All right. Um, and there was the story that w- ended up being fake news, made up whole cloth that he didn't understand how a supermarket scanner worked. That story went, is still referred to. It's totally fake, by the way. But that was kind of the thing that he was out of touch. Uh, the Clinton campaign had the the, lo- the the slogan, it's the economy, stupid. And so here he's asked to talk about the national debt and how it impacts him, him personally. Was he out of touch, uh, George H.W. Bush, with The Average American? So, Todd, what do you think? Fake news or not? That clip, how much impact did it have on what happened in 1992?
3: Not. It's 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 not necessarily the zinger, but it's an embodiment about H.W. Uh, always played to type. He really could not get out of his own way, but there, in four years earlier, he got the great assist from Dukakis. Do you think Bill Clinton was ever going to give him that assist? The contrast. No, he sister
2: you yeah. right away to make sure he wasn't going. He was wasn't going to get played like that. There exactly. you go. There's yeah. the
3: distinction,
4: uh, Aaron. <laughs> I would also say uh, not as well, uh, mainly because uh, along the lines of what Todd was saying, that wasn't the moment, but it was indicative, I believe, of a larger pattern. Uh, with with Bush, just looking back, which was, you know what? He really he really was out of touch or at least not a very good actor, at least not a very good actor, because when you're standing on stage and you're taking questions from a town hall audience, get that nice furrowed brow in there, nod along appreciatively as they're talking. And so that's oh boy, this woman's talking again. How long till we get out of here? That's that's never going to play in almost any era in in american history
2: all right so we're going to save the rest of the clips for after the break give me you guys this kind of big picture takeaway trend from what we've seen as we've gone down this historical road so far and and what do you think it may portend heading into tonight
3: my big picture you cannot be surprised if you're running for the united states by any Question you're going to be asked, and that seems to be a commonality. They just weren't prepared. There's, there's really you can, you don't have to say, oh, you know what? I've never identified with your uh, monetary problems, but it's my job to understand them, and I do, and I will. You know, you, how old was he when he got asked that question? If you're not equipped to simply identify with the person in front of you, when that's your whole job, quite frankly, you know, that's a you problem.
4: Yeah, and I would reiterate what I said at the beginning that this is. Um It's a lot of if these were the highlights, it's a lot of style over substance. And that makes sense, um, because honestly, that's that's what people want to see. Okay, we we don't want to hear um, debates about what the uh, top marginal tax rate on billionaires should be or. And I'm not saying this is right, right or wrong here. We don't want to hear really technocratic debates. Uh, We want to see somebody who looks like a leader on that stage and that's, that's the, kind of the great mystery tonight, because on one hand, you've got Donald Trump, who's probably not going to be able to contain his ego in some cases or be able to tame his tongue in some cases, and uh, Joe Biden, who doesn't, well, I'm not going to say that, but Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well said. We'll come back. More looks at history and presidential debates and what they may tell us we may or may not see tonight here when we come back here in a moment on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Stay tuned. Have you ever wondered why internet access is so much cheaper these days like 30 to 40 bucks a month? Well, it's because internet service providers like Comcast or AT&T uh, they aren't just making money off your subscription fees for their uh, for their internet platform. They're also making money from spying on your internet activity and then selling your history and data to big tech companies. So, what's the best way to make sure that 100% of your data is encrypted and belongs to you and no one else can get a hold of it? Uh, you guessed it, ExpressVPN. They have crea- they'll create a secure tunnel between all your devices and the internet so that everything you do online is encrypted. Uh, Encrypted And it'll reroute your connection through a secure server. This blocks your internet provider from seeing everything that you do online. All they can see is you're connected to an ExpressVPN server, but nothing beyond that. And it's not just for your phone or computer. ExpressVPN works on all your devices, even tablets, smart TVs, even your router. So your entire family can always stay protected. I can't stress this enough. Though so ExpressVPN, I have it, I use it on this machine, my phone, iPad, it's simple to use. Uh, just open the app, tap one button to connect, and that is it. Your data becomes your business, and you can protect it at expressvpn.com slash Steve. Again, expressvpn.com slash Steve. Visit there, get three months of ExpressVPN protection for free. Find out how. You can get three months for free at ExpressVPN dot com slash Steve right, let's continue it's a special presidential debate edition of Fake News or Not we're looking at a compilation that the Wall Street Journal put together a few years ago of what they consider to be some of the more pivotal moments in presidential debate history and we're asking after we watch this moment uh, fake news or not did it really have an ultimate impact on the outcome that election let's
4: get to the next clip I have as much experience in the Congress as Jack Kennedy did when he sought the presidency. Senator,
5: I served with Jack Kennedy. I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy.
2: Now, this is one of... It's considered one of the greatest owns in the history of of VP or presidential debates. That's Senator Lloyd Benson from here in Texas. Um, He was Michael Dukakis' running mate against uh, Dan Quayle, the senator from Indiana. And, and here you had Dukakis trying to recreate the 1960 election, uh, a senator from he's, his, his running mate. He's he's from Massachusetts, like Kennedy was. He gets a Texas senator who's more moderate to kind of balance the ticket. Uh, Bush was told he had to get younger, more relevant. So he goes and gets Dan Quayle. There was a series of flubs. Um, I can't even remember them all. Uh, I remember the one with the United Negro College Fund something like a, a mind is a terrible thing to waste, but it's even worse to have not had a mind or do you remember some of these series of flubs and, and, and snafus and foobars uh, that Dan Quayle had on the campaign trail uh, that year. And then there was this vice presidential debate and this moment it's considered one of the greatest owns of all time, but Todd did it had no, really no impact on the outcome at all. Did it?
3: No, cause it's a vice presidential debate. It's fake. It's fake news. I uh, And it, if this were reversed and Republican, Democrat, whatever, it just, it's, and it's also not, it's, it's as powerful as it was because the opponent let it be. It actually, in and of itself, isn't like, oh, how do you come back from that? There's a pretty easy way rhetorically how you come back from that. It's just whether or not the guy chose to or not, but it's not, it's not brilliant. Actually, quite frankly, even though it's good, it's also petty. I mean, it's, I, I don't even remember. Do you have any... I don't know what the context was for immediately before that. Uh, the simple fact of the matter is he could have been part and parcel doing the exact kind of things uh that jack kennedy did i think we know even by that point in history that lloyd benson uh and his politics had less to do uh with jack uh, kennedy who uh you know fisc- fiscally uh was very much uh a, a, a into uh cutting taxes so i i just i think this is no matter how you slice it this is overblown
4: aaron I would tend to agree with Todd. I, I mean, you're trying to look at, excuse me, you're, you're trying to look at the temperature of the nation in 1988. And there's still people who relatively, relatively, I mean, they, they lived through the assassination. Um, and so that's still, that line still resonates with people. But at the same time, it was upwards of, what, 20 years or more than 20 years prior. So I don't know if it really, I, I, th- I do tend to agree with Todd that it is overblown. I mean, who ended up winning that election anyway? And Todd is absolutely right. It's a vice presidential debate. Those things, those things are always just kind of, I don't know, uh, it, 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 it's kind of a stalemate. It seems like almost every time. So I, I would say this is fake news all right let's move on that's what the question in this campaign is about
5: it's not only what's your philosophy and what's your position on issues but can you get things done and i believe i can
2: <laughs> uh, so this goes to the, this is the 2000 election i believe it was the first debate Gore was leading the polls, coming out of the conventions, going into that debate. And I believe, Todd, that was the one where he interrupted Bush several times, right? in that debate kept interrupting him, and it hurt him, and uh, the polls had narrowed. And so the next debate was the town hall format, and uh, he tries to put off a friendlier posture, and it seemed to be going well for him throughout much of the debate. And then out of nowhere in the middle of it, from what I remember, he kind of stands up, and does this like Buffalo stance thing invades George W. Bush's personal space. <laughs> and hey, W played it off with a perfect amount of mixture of uh, Texas bravado, but with a little um, glibness at the exact same time. Right. You know, uh, and and I think that was a key moment in terms of George W. Bush showing, hey, I, there, I'm not H.W. Bush. I'm not the same guy. Uh, I'm a little more Texan, and he was a little bit more Kenny Bunkport, Uh, you know. And so, hey, hey, stepping in my personal space. Anyway, your thoughts on that moment, Todd, fake news or not? Uh,
3: That is not fake news. The Saturday Night Live versions of this were brilliant. And it just goes to show that if – if you start getting weird enough that even SNL, and it's everything has drifted further and further into the progressive crazy, we couldn't rely on that uh, level of um, of honesty uh, now as we could then, but they couldn't, uh, they were playing, George W. Bush was being played as a pure idiot by Will Ferrell, and America was taking his side because of how weird Gore was in these things. They, I remember them lampooning, it's time for the closing remarks. And Gore said, I'd like to take both closing remarks, please. They had him nailed. <laughs> he was he was insufferable, and Saturday Night Live knew it. And it's, uh, I, I think th- I'm, I might have to reevaluate after uh, what I said at the beginning about Ronald Reagan. I don't think so. But this thing nailed it.
2: And you go to the final debate, Aaron, you may be old enough to remember this. The final debate, Gore had taken so much heat for this that in the final debate, he basically just was like zombified Gore. It was the sit down format now where they're sitting down at the table and like Gore almost like refused to talk, answer. Like he just went completely the other way. Like he just paralyzed himself and just let George W. Bush like roll
3: him in that entire debate. Just really quick. There's no way we're talking about hanging chads if Gore isn't this person in the debates. There's no way.
2: Well, we're we're not probably talking about hanging chads if there's not a report of George H.W. or George W. Bush having a DUI like 48 hours before the election.
4: We're probably not talking about hanging chads either. But I get your point, Aaron. What do you think? I, I vaguely, vaguely remember uh, this this uh, uh, these debates, I should say, and yeah, looking back on this, the insufferability of of Al Gore probably started before this um but it i mean it this was really where it started to ramp up and now 20 years later he's still he still manages to be insufferable somehow i mean what what were you talking about favorability like you can be charming and uh charming and uh, kind of the center of attention and take all the attention away from the other uh, just charming and overbearing but mostly charming that still kind of works uh, mm-hmm. But you cannot be overbearing and have no charm whatsoever, and that seems to be what Al Gore did. And you talk about favorability ratings; that's a good way to start to tank that. So this is hey, so you just news.
2: you just described himself. He's the inverse of Bill Clinton, basically. Yep, yep. I mean, who could be who had charm but could be overbearing, but had more charm? Yeah, I hear you. All right, move on. Next you one. We
5: said in the Rose Garden, the day after the attack, it was
2: an act of terror.
5: It was not a spontaneous demonstration. Is that what you're saying?
1: Please proceed,
5: Governor. I, 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 I want to make sure we get that for the record, because it took the president 14 days before he called the attack in Benghazi an act of terror. Get the
4: transcript. He did, in, in fact, sir, so let me let me call it an act of Can terror. Can you say that, that a little louder, Candy?
3: He, he did call it an act of terror.
2: All right, fake news or not, Romney and Obama going back and forth in 2012
4: on Benghazi. Aaron, I'm going to start with you this time. Go ahead. Not fake news. I mean, come on. Um, I can't remember even which debate that was, but uh, judging on the fact that Obama looks like the cool one and uh, Mitt Romney is kind of uh, blubbering, um, I I, I don't think it was the first one. Uh, What the opportunity that election was. And not only from the candidate, how the candidate acted, and then just completely screwing the po- pooch um, after that first debate. Uh, this is not fake news. That was the beginning of any chance uh, or beginning of the end of any chance that Mitt Romney had.
2: You know, Todd Aaron was just talking about charming and overbearing. I think you just saw the embodiment of the right mixture of that with the way that Obama says oh, yeah. in that clip, move on, governor. Like, I'm the president. You're a former governor. Move on. you lost the point. Move on.
3: I agree with Aaron, but I am saying fake news because it was, listen, that after that first debate, Obama, and this is one reason I ex- respect Obama. He's like that, what's turned into a gif from the whole uh, Jordan basketball thing, where he's looking at the screen of Gary Payton talking about, uh, their series against each other, and like how Gary, was, Gary Payton was uh, turning the tide, and Jordan just starts belly laughing. Like, Barack Obama, after having a bad debate the first time, it just wasn't ready, was doing other things, was running the country, whatever, just said, I, I am losing to this guy. And he just named the score. I mean, then that's how it was. Mitt Romney simply w- w- was a fraud. And it wasn't just at that moment, it's at almost all moments.
2: If you want to know how Mitt Romney lost to Obama in 2012, go watch the I don't know if they still have it, but the the documentary Mitt No. that I the, won't. that Romney was promoting. You've told with, me about with Net, this. Netflix. I can't. I won't. If, if you after that first debate when Mitt Romney dominates, that was the first time I thought Romney might actually win that election. Dominated that first debate. He comes off the stage in that documentary. He's like, "Boy, boy, Obama's going to come back." The, a normal guy reaction. Yeah. Like if I was on his campaign, I'd be thinking, hey, "I got to talk this guy down." He's going to think the election's tonight because he won, and it's not. Long way to go. Big night, but it's a long way. Right? That's that's like the normal guy reaction to a big win. He comes off thinking, "Boy, that was kind of a fluke, man." I mean, we're. I mean, he's going to come back at me strong. I know he's better than that. I can't believe I won that thing. I mean, dude and that whole documentary you realize the it's the other it's the other romney that's got the balls in that family okay before the next debate he gets together with one of his sons who's basically got to talk him give him a pep talk you can do it dad you can do it okay i mean it, you come away from that documentary thinking this is the vulture capitalist this is the this is the guy i mean that, that there's no alpha there when you watch that documentary um, you wonder how did this guy make all this money I mean, how did he swim in the land of venture capital sharks with this amount of beta? Because there's a that that's another name for that documentary. They, instead of calling it MIT, they could have called it beta. Let's get to the next clip.
4: This is the last one, by the way. I mean, oh, that
2: was I the last clip. You recognize that al-Qaeda is a threat. Gotcha. Because a few months ago, when you were asked what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia.
5: Not al-Qaeda. You said Russia. In the 1980s or now calling to ask for their foreign policy back because you know the cold war has been over for 20 years
2: so this is from the very final debate between obama and Mitt romney and i believe it was somebody counted like 12 or 13 times in that debate romney says he agrees with the president in that debate but the irony here guys eight years later to hear obama mock romney for sounding the alarm about russia given everything democrats have obsessed with Russia over the last four years. It, it's it's impossible to ignore that irony. But anyway, Todd,
3: it it is not fake news, and this encapsulates so much of Republican versus Democrat uh, talking point politics over the years. It and George Costanza called it's not a lie if you believe it. He was obviously wrong. Uh perhaps not in in the moment in any way any of us could uh, could know. Uh, But he's obviously wrong now, looking back. But the simple fact of the matter, the the Democrats are wrong all the time about everything. About tax policy, about gender, about abortion. But they continue to win rhetorical debates because there's always people like Mitt Romney on the other side just staring like a dumb dog with his head like this. And they don't know what to do. That that was perfect uh, in terms of a summary of how we've gotten to this entire point where we can believe that coronavirus anybody and how we continue to think a guy like Fauci can get away with the nonsense, you just saw it in Barack Obama. He just, I, they, they're used car salesmen through and through and through, and they keep selling us a car that will not drive more than a, a, a block down the road.
4: Yeah, I, it, it's just the parting on the left is now the parting on the right, going back And actually, in those last two clips, uh, especially the last one, actually had some modicum of substance. It wasn't just style, especially that last one. But when it comes to the actual substance, and I'm using air quotes for those of you uh, listening, it really is... Uh, whatever substance suits me one year versus whatever substance air quotes again that suits me mm-hmm. eight years from now. Again, the who song won't get fooled again. Parting on the left is now the parting on the right and the Greek beards have grown longer overnight. It's just infuriating. It's infuriating and honestly, that's how we ended up with with Donald Trump again to put a bow really on this entire show. It's how we ended up with Donald Trump for better or for worse. He's been an impactful in in some ways, president, but for better or worse, that's, that's how we ended up with him. So that
2: sets the stage for what's coming your way. The rest of the day here on blaze TV, it's pretty much all a look ahead to tonight and then a look back on what happened. Make sure you don't miss any of it. BlazeTV.com is where you can, where you can go use the promo code debate in order to get $20 off your annual subscription to Blaze TV right now, so you don't miss any of our pre and post debate coverage at blaze TV.com promo code debate. We will offer uh, some of it for free on our YouTube channel as well. Uh, But if you want to catch it all blaze tv.com promo code debate, I'll be a part of that debate coverage here on the channel all day long as well. All the way through uh, our post debate coverage tonight, we have got a, got a jam packed show, Uh, Glenn, myself, Stu, Allie, uh, Dave Ruben. I mean, it's, it's a ton. We brought out the, we brought out the big guns and then me uh, for this year evening and what's at stake here tonight so make sure you keep it tuned right here to blaze tv gentlemen great job today thanks for being with us back there in iowa thanks to all of you for being with us as well uh back at it again tomorrow noon to 2 eastern right after glenn beck here on blaze tv radio and podcast until then john 317
1: this is steve dace on the blaze radio network